to just reflect a minute on um, last weekend when we had our wonderful uh, Christmas concert. You remember? And uh, we focused on uh, some of the wonders that are a part of uh, Christmas. And I'm not really sure why uh, people are so resistant to embracing the idea of wonder. It seems to me like when we're kids and we're growing up, the world is filled with wonder. There's all kinds of things that, you know, create this sense of wonder inside of us. And then as we grow up, as we quote unquote mature, uh, we sort of learn to explain everything away. And we only believe in that which we can understand. And the sense of wonder seems to go away, which I think is tragic because our creator has surrounded us with wonder. And especially Christmas is loaded with this sense of wonder. And one of the wonders uh, that has sort of mystified and confounded Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years uh, is the wise men who show up to worship Jesus, just kind of out of nowhere, out of the blue. These guys uh, come from the east, and they're there to worship Jesus. And there's a lot of uh, you know, interest in trying to figure out who they are and so forth, but the magi, or the wise men, uh, who come from the east. And so their story is told in Matthew's gospel, okay? Matthew chapter 2, uh, which is kind of a wonder in itself because Matthew's entire gospel is written from a Jewish perspective. And these wise men are the very first non-Jewish people to ever acknowledge Jesus as the Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah. So it's kind of a, a wonder that of all people, of all the gospel writers, uh, that Matthew would be the one who writes this down. Um, Gentiles came to worship the Jewish baby king. And so maybe Jesus is more than just the Jewish Messiah. Maybe uh, Jesus is the world's Messiah. Perhaps Jesus came to be our savior, the savior of the whole world, and one of the wonders is that a couple thousand years ago, he would come into the world on your and my behalf to be our savior. One of the wonders that we wouldn't want to lose. Um, and so the wise men just show up in Jerusalem and uh, they're looking for Jesus maybe uh, up to two years after he was actually born. Uh, based on Herod killing all the babies under two, King Herod, the Roman uh, king who killed all the babies around Bethlehem under two years of age uh, because he was afraid of having a rival uh, king uh, come and displace him. And so his insecurity, his jealousy, and so forth uh, caused uh, this kind of pain that was predicted all the way in the Old Testament and, and so on. But Matthew's gospel never mentions the manger. Matthew's gospel never mentions the shepherds. Uh, but he doesn't want us to miss the star that led these wise men uh, to Jesus. And he doesn't want us to miss the seekers, the people who came from afar uh, to find Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 2, uh, we can just begin reading at the first uh, verse. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they knew that he had already been born. Right? Because uh, Herod's going to ask, well, when did the star first appear? When Jesus was born, the star appeared, as the scripture said it would. 
And, um, <clears throat> and so they knew that he had been born. And they come asking where. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? Now, I think if I was the wise man, I'd just be expecting everybody in Jerusalem to know your new king has been born. I mean, we know, and we're from way out in left field. And so, you know, and, and nobody really knows. Nobody's really paying attention to the scriptures as much as the wise men. And uh, in my opinion, that's what makes them wise, okay? And so they ask, where is he who's born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Um, when you think about this, you know, you ask yourself, well, what, what does it mean? What does it mean that these people came from afar to find the king, that they followed the star, that they uh, knew what the scriptures had to say, and so forth? And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that um, the wise men um, are a lot like us. Uh, they were on a journey. They're on a quest. They were trying to find out what is the meaning behind life. What, what's behind our lives? Where does, where does, it, where does life come from? Uh, why are we all here? And uh, where, where is it all going? And what does it all mean? What could all of this mean? And I want to suggest that just like us, they were kind of on a quest. Now, the Magi had tried other avenues to try to get answers uh, to these kinds of questions, to discover what's really behind life. If you read the first uh, few chapters of the book of Daniel, um, you'll see that these uh, magi had tried sorcery and they tried witchcraft and astrology and astronomy and education and uh, trying to contact the dead, false religion, uh, all kinds of things to try to discover the meaning behind life. And I want to suggest to you that God rewarded their honest quest to find the truth behind the meaning of life. Um, by um, meeting them and providing for them in ways that God also provides for us. You might remember back in Jeremiah chapter 29, a familiar passage of scripture, but God makes a promise. Um, and he says uh, uh, through Jeremiah to the Jewish people, uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you're casual about God, well, chances are you'll never find him. If it's kind of a secondary interest that you might have, like a hobby or something like that, chances are you're going to, uh, all through your life, you just be looking, looking. There's lots of different religious groups that it seems to me they're looking, looking, searching, searching, but not really searching with all their hearts and laying everything on the line. And God says, when you seek me with all your heart, right? Uh, verse 13, when you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and so on. I will meet you. So whenever somebody's serious about really finding the creator behind the creation, God will make a way for them to be able to uh, find him. And I think it's important to realize that. And um, when we get to the wise men, we realize that God, one of the ways that God leads us back to himself, right, is through nature, through the wonders of the creation. He led them with a star. They were astronomers. So God met them where they were. He knew that they were people who studied the stars. And, and, and uh, I think, you know, I mentioned in the past that there's one verse in the Old Testament that connects a star to Christmas in uh, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. And uh, these people, in my, uh, my opinion, took that verse literally 
at face value and believed it and were watching the sky for the appearance of this promised new star. And God used the natural world to get their attention. He used the star of Bethlehem uh, because I think they were astronomers. Well, we know they were astronomers. Uh, Psalm 19 in verse 1 uh, says, The heavens right, declare the glory of God. The heavens are there to let us know how great God is. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The natural world is filled with wonders. And the wonders are designed to cause us to search for the God uh, who created these wonders. <clears throat> in, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uses this argument uh, to suggest that everybody uh, can find God, right? In Romans chapter 1 and uh, verse 19, uh, for what can be known about God is plain to everybody because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So all people are without excuse. Just the fact that we're a part of the creation and we live in this you know, wonder-filled nature that God created ought to be enough to stimulate us to ask the question and to pursue the reason why we're here and the meaning behind life and uh, cause us to search for, for the Lord and to actually uh, find him. And so God leads us to himself through the wonders of the natural world uh, whenever we're willing to look and to acknowledge the wonder of God's creation and uh, the way that he made us. But God also used something else um, with the wise men to lead them uh, to Jesus. He doesn't just use nature, but I want to suggest to you that he uses his word, the scriptures. And so in Matthew chapter 2, when we read the next few verses, you'll notice what happens here. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, okay? He got upset, another king, a rival king, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem hadn't been paying attention to the scriptures, and now they're troubled because the Messiah, uh, this new king, is, is here. Uh, all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And they knew. Why? How did they know? Well, they already knew because, again, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, God had said hundreds of years ago, this is where the Christ will be born when he's born, in Bethlehem. And so you can read it there. Um, um, these uh, priests and the scribes, they quote the prophet Micah, and uh, here's what Micah said, and you, O Bethlehem, uh, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So hundreds of years ago in the Old Testament uh, literature and the prophets, uh, the place where um, uh, Jesus was to be born had uh, already been spelled out. And so then um, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Herod wanted to know, when did you first see the star? So he's calculating, when was Jesus born? He's got when, he's got the place, right? He, it's uh, Bethlehem and so forth. And uh, he begins to um, want to put this together. And um, he said, now you guys go and search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, uh, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But of course, he had no intention of worshiping him. And um, 
um, as a result of that, uh, even though he knew and even though these uh, priests and the scribes knew where and uh, all of a sudden these people show up from uh, out of no place, uh, nobody seems interested to go with them to go and find uh, the Christ child and so forth. Now, so the star, nature, right, uh, ought to lead us to God and the scriptures um, are designed to lead us back to God, to lead us to Christ as it did with the wise men. Um, and you should know, right, I think you do know, right, that um, when Jesus returns, the Bible promises us that there's going to be uh, some real uh, activity in the cosmos, in the creation. The stars are going to fall from the sky. The sun isn't going to shine. Uh, the moon won't reflect the sun's light and so forth. There's a number of things. There's a cosmic disturbance that happens immediately before Christ returns. And so uh, I think it's so important uh, that we understand and know uh, the truth about that. Um, I think, you know, Matthew, well, let me just say, Jesus said this himself. I just want to read this. Uh, Matthew 24, um, immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heavens, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and so on. And um, you could go to Revelation chapter 6, where John sees a picture of this actually happening. In Revelation 6, you can go to the Old Testament, where some of the prophets talk about these cosmic disturbances that are going to happen right before Christ comes back, and so forth. And what's not cool, I think, is that, um, well, let me, let me get back to Matthew chapter 2. Um, it says here that um, in Matthew chapter 2, Herod says, Go search for the child. After listening to the king, uh, verse 9, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what the star could have been, you know, a comet and, and you know, this and that. <clears throat> I personally think it was something like the Shekinah glory is the, the light that accompanied the people of Israel through the desert. Remember, there was a pillar of fire that shone at night and uh, it led the people and so forth. And I think it was something like that, a manifestation that we would look at and say, it's a star. Uh, perhaps it was like the pillar of fire that led, but because it came and it stood right over the house and led them directly to the house. But what's kind of cool is that, you know, uh, so nature draws us to uh, God. Scripture clarifies and brings us, you know, right to where Jesus is and, and makes that connection uh, for us. And then once we understand the scriptures, all of a sudden uh, the creation is filled with more wonder again. And all of a sudden the star reappears. It says, you know, uh, the star reappeared and it went over them, came right to the place where Jesus was. And uh, the next verse says this, when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were psyched out of their minds because the, all of a sudden, uh, the creation had a whole new meaning for them, right? Uh, once they were illuminated, if you will, by the scriptures. And, and so I think there's kind of a warning here. I think it's rather strange that the uh, priests and the scribes uh, knew where, and these guys show up and stir up all Jerusalem but there's no indication in the Bible that these guys go and check it out for themselves. They just kind of ignore uh, these people who stirred up all of Jerusalem, and they're the 
biblical experts. They're the priests and the scribes. And um, I, I think there's kind of a, a warning here that um, it's one thing to know the scriptures and it's another thing to believe the scriptures. Sometimes we're really big on Bible study and we want to know the scriptures and we go to Bible study after Bible study and we get more and more knowledge and so forth. But sometimes I wonder if we don't stop and ask, now that I know this, do I believe it? You see, the priests and the scribes, they knew the scriptures. They knew it was Bethlehem, right? And they should have known that a star would be associated based on scripture. They knew it, okay, but they didn't believe it enough to actually go and see. This would be the greatest thing that the whole Old Testament scriptures, all of their scriptures, say is going to happen. And here it might be happening in their lifetime. And they can't even be bothered to go check it out. Um, what's with that? The difference between uh, people who know and people who believe, like the wise men, they, believe, they didn't just know the scriptures, they believed them. And so what did they do? You know, they, at great inconvenience to themselves and at great sacrifice, who knows, they probably were traveling for months to come and check out what they believed based on what the scriptures had said. So it's one thing to know the scriptures, uh, the priests and the scribes knew the scriptures, but it's another thing to believe what God is saying. And um, the wise men believed and traveled uh, to come and to worship uh, this newborn king to see if it was really true. And so uh, once they were informed by the scripture, the star reappears. They're psyched out of their mind. By the way, I hope that when, when Christ comes back, if it were to be in our lifetime and we were to see this these cosmic things happening, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that the world is going to like totally freak out. But I hope that we would be like the wise men and we would be rejoicing, you know, and we would be so excited because we would understand, I know what's going to happen here. This means that Jesus is right around the corner and about to come back. And when these kinds of signs happen, we'll be so uh, prepared that unlike the rest of the world, we'll be like in full anticipation, like these guys. Why? Because we're informed by the scriptures and we'll understand the wonders that are happening. And we won't be confused by it or, uh, you know, uh, uh, full of fear as a result of it and so forth. And so once informed by the scripture and the star reappears, uh, the wise men were very excited about it. Now, whenever uh, somebody actually finds God, whenever somebody actually discovers uh, the truth about Jesus and so forth, the response is always the same. The response is worship. It's the only legitimate response to have when a person encounters God. It's worship. And so the next verse in our passage here, verse 11, says this. Going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their gifts, their treasures, and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to suggest that worship is the only legitimate response to truly knowing and understanding uh, God through Jesus. Uh, worship is just acknowledging the worth of somebody or something. Worship is just acknowledging the worth of someone or something. And you'll notice in this verse that there are two uh, primary um, responses of worship in verse 11. 
It says that when the wise men got to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and uh, they fell down. They bowed down, some of your uh, translations might say. They fell down. In other words, they were humbled. They recognized they were in the presence of a king. Not a king, but the king. They recognized they were in the presence of somebody different, somebody special, and they were humbled. And then second, they gave gifts. So worship consists of an attitude, a heart attitude, and certain actions. They gave gifts. Uh, how, How do you worship? Well, first, there has to be a heart attitude. There has to be a recognition of the person that you're worshiping. And we have to understand who he is and who we are uh, next to him. Uh, I think there's a world of difference between Herod's response to Jesus and the wise men's response to Jesus. Herod's uh, response is full of pride. And the wise men are full of humility. Um, When there's pride, remember we talked about this, when there's pride, there's ego, right? E-G-O, edging God out. We said is a good definition for our ego. Worship is uh, an ego that's exalting God only, recognizing that God is who he is and taking our life and taking our uh, ego and our worship and giving it to him alone. Um, uh, What what then uh, is humility? Uh, Humility is bowing down. Humility is acquiescing. Uh, There can't be worship without humility. Everywhere in the scriptures, uh, God admires humility and hates pride and arrogance. Proverbs chapter 8 talks about how much God hates, doesn't just dislike, doesn't just, you know, uh, uh, say it's bad, but he hates uh, pride and arrogance. And um, so to worship is to simply acknowledge the worth of someone or someone. And worship happens anytime we turn to God and we say, You are the only one worthy of my devotion. You're the one who is uh, uh, first in my life. And so whenever we, um, you know, take um, time to pray and acknowledge God's worth and God's interest in our life and so forth, it's worship. When we sing praises, it's worship. When we memorize God's word and say, you are worth quoting. I want to know what you said because when I get into situations, I want to tell people what you say. Uh, It's worship. Uh, We acknowledge that his words are superior. When we serve other people and we recognize that God made other people and we offer to be servants of other people, we do servant leadership. Uh, It's an act of worship. It's a response uh, to God's initiative. Uh, When we tell others about Jesus, it's worship. Um, When we uh, use the gifts that God has given us to further his causes, it's worship. Uh, I I always like to say that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not an event that happens for an hour on a Sunday morning. Worship is a whole lifestyle. It's an orientation on how to live. God always initiates. God always goes first. God gives first, talks first, loves first, forgives first, gives grace first. And our response is a response of worship. Responding to him is an act of worship. And so uh, it's a lifestyle. And it happens at church, but it happens at home. It happens at work. Uh, It happens in private. It happens in public. But it always comes from a humble heart when it's genuine. It always comes from a heart that recognizes that God is way superior to me. 
right? And it comes from a, a place of humility, even as the wise men came and bowed down before him. And I, I think, um, you know, we need to remember that uh, actually uh, God is looking for people who will worship him. Um, you might remember this in John uh, chapter 4 and verse 23. Uh, Jesus is talking and he says, The hour is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth, okay? And then he says this, uh, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? Um, oh, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking people to worship him, to worship him and him alone, to worship God first. Now, I, I think everybody worships, right? Everybody worships something. Everybody thinks something is worth devoting their life to. Everybody worships, but not everybody worships God or worships him, um, Think about it. You can worship anything. I think lots of people worship their work, for example. Uh, Their work is first. They're totally devoted to work, right? Um, Lots of people will give themselves um, uh, to worshiping uh, themselves. They're number one. And I think that was Herod's problem. Herod was caught up with himself and was intimidated by Jesus coming along and um, being a threat to him and so forth. He worshiped himself. People worship power, education, money, sex, uh, food. Uh, I found people worship retirement. I've been meeting people who like, oh, you're just going to love being retired, man. It's like I've lived my whole life to retire kind of thing. And now it's here and every day is like Saturday. And it's just the best thing in the world. And da, 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 da. And it's like worshiping retirement. Uh, there are some people actually worship football teams. I know some people who actually worship a quarterback on a football team. I was, uh, I was in Home Depot yesterday. You can worship a dog. I was in Home Depot yesterday, right? And uh, I had to talk to this guy to order a part for a, uh, um, vertical blinds that had broken at my house. And so I'm waiting in line. And a lady in front of me who's talking to this guy has got her dog on her lap. And in her carriage, there's a blanket and a bed and the whole thing. And she's sitting there and she's telling this guy all about her dog. And she's going on and on and on. Now, I think dogs are fine, but if you worship a dog, you know, um, why do you bring the dog to Home Depot, number one? It's just like, leave the thing home, you know? Uh, And she just was on and on and on and on. And uh, you can worship a car. You can worship anything. Everybody worships. But God is looking for people who worship him, okay? And... um, Here's the thing, I think. All of these things that people worship are good. All of these things are good. Okay? But all good things come from God. And no good thing was ever intended to take God's place. The good things in our life are designed to give us, that God gave them to us to draw us to himself. And God is looking for people who look behind life and say, where did all this come from? Why is all this here? What is life really all about? And using the wonders of the world to draw us to himself that we might worship him and him alone. That we might find the one who is behind all the wonders and all the good things 
that are in the world. And God is looking for people uh, to worship him and uh, to acknowledge his uh, superior worth. So humility is the first part of worship. Second part of worship, uh, according to the wise men in this passage this morning, um, is about giving gifts. And we all know, we sang the song this morning uh, about uh, the three kings from the Orient. There's no evidence in the scripture that they're kings. Uh, There's no evidence that there were just three of them. Uh, But the scriptures do talk about three different uh, gifts that these wise uh, persons uh, brought. And so Christmas is, you know, very much about uh, gifts. In uh, verse 11, again, that passage about the worship. Going into the house, they saw the child and his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold, of course, is the medal of kings. Still is, right? It's the most precious metal. And so uh, the gift of uh, gold or the gift of money or like our uh, worship through tithing, if you will, uh, is an acknowledgement that Jesus is my king. He's my king. He's the one that I trust to lead me. He's the one that I've entrusted myself to, uh, to uh, uh, provide security and to provide direction and to provide um, a future and and everything that you would look to uh, a a divine king to. It's acknowledgement that he's my king. He's my leader. He's the one I trust. He's the one I listen to. He's the one I'm loyal to. He's the one I evaluate everything else that I hear against. He's my God. Uh, Other people might look to money to do for them what only God can actually do. Um, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, just the next page over, you remember uh, Jesus talked about this himself in uh, verse uh, 24 of Matthew 6, where he said, you know, nobody can have two firsts. Nobody can worship God and worship money at the same time. Uh, Matthew uh, 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can only have one first. Money's important. Money's a good thing. Money can do a lot of good things, but it's not an ultimate thing. Every time we take a good thing and try to make it the ultimate thing, we set ourselves up for disappointment. There's lots of good things in life. There's only one ultimate thing. And God is seeking for us to find that ultimate thing and to make him the object of our worship. And uh, Jesus says, look, you know, money is uh, really like the, the, the item that people worship. And Jesus said, you can't have it both ways. You have to choose uh, one or the other. And so, uh, again, the same Old Testament verse that revealed the star in connection with Christmas is the verse that reveals that Jesus is the king of the universe. Uh, He's the one who has the scepter and is the ruler and so on. The second gift is the gift of frankincense. And uh, frankincense, or incense, if you will, was a very expensive um, fragrance that was used by the priests in the worship in the temple. If you read through the uh, first five books of Moses in the Old Testament, um, frankincense was used in connection with sacrifices and offerings. And uh, mixed with oil, it gave off a very pleasant smell. It was very pleasing. And this gift of uh, incense or frankincense uh, recognizes Jesus as our great high priest. Uh, The one connection between people and God. uh, Our great high priest. Um, In um, Acts 
uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, the Bible says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one connection between God and man. There's only one high priest. There's only one person who can mediate between a perfectly holy God and a sinful group of human beings. And it's the person, Jesus Christ. And uh, this incense, this gift of uh, recognizing him to be the only pure person, only holy person uh, who came from God. Uh, Incense is designed to recognize uh, who he really is. Now, how the wise men knew this, uh, only I would guess through studying the scriptures and understanding. It's kind of interesting uh, that in the whole Old Testament, uh, frankincense was never mixed with a sin offering. It's mixed with all these different kinds of offerings, but never mixed with a sin offering because Jesus himself was the offering for sin, Uh, not mixed with any. You can't add anything to what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And uh, it's just kind of an interesting little side note. And and then, so there's gold, there's frankincense, and then the third is myrrh. And uh, myrrh is kind of a weird gift to give on Christmas, right? Because it's embalming fluid. came from a place called Smyrna. And uh, uh, really, Smyrna means myrrh. And um, myrrh was used for embalming. Uh, uh, Probably about 100 pounds of myrrh was buried with Jesus in his body in the tomb. And um, it points to Jesus' death, obviously. It recognizes Jesus as our Savior. He's our king. He's our priest, the one connection between us and God. And he's our Savior, saving us from death and saving us from sin uh, through his death on the cross, the only one who can deliver us from death. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it pointed up his sacrifice. It pointed up his suffering uh, on our behalf. And uh, is a weird kind of gift, but uh, somehow these wise men knew to recognize it. And uh, as I always like to say, God said, don't ever forget that my son died on the cross in your place. And uh, that's the heartbeat of our salvation and so forth. So to worship Jesus is to acknowledge him as our leader, as our priest, if you will, our one connection uh, with God, and our savior from sin and death. And uh, when we know Jesus like that, and we look to him to be those three roles in our life, uh, then worship becomes a way of life. Uh, uh, Millions of ways to give gifts. Uh, to to God. If you think about just the Christmas story, the angels uh, gave the gift of music to God, right? The gift of praise in worship. The angels sang. Uh, Mary gave the gift of her womb, her body, in worship, in response to Christmas. She she gave uh, her womb in worship. Uh, The shepherds left work and gave their attention to Jesus. The priests and the scribes weren't even willing to do that. But they gave attention. It's an act of worship when we give attention uh, to Jesus. Um, the, the Joseph, he's like, I'm going to divorce Mary. You know? And the angel comes and says, no, don't do that. And Joseph's obedience becomes an act of worship in response to God's initiative to him and God speaking to him you know, through the angel and so forth. And so on and on, even in the Christmas story, you can see there's so many different ways Uh, to worship. Um, Worship is simply responding to God by being humbled and by finding a way, an action, 
in response to what God has uh, revealed and said to us. It's a way of life. And worship, one last point here, worship, I think, prepares us to receive more from God. It's kind of interesting. Um, but until we really worship and until we're really humbled and we really have committed our, uh, uh, our lives to a lifestyle of worship, um, a lot of times, you know, uh, we just have these kind of principles out there. But uh, it seems interesting to me that the last verse in our text here this morning uh, shows that after these guys really worshiped, God spoke to them on a personal level. You remember, he warns them in a dream to go home a different way. So, you know, you have these principles, you have these prophecies, you have stuff that you can learn about God from nature, you have uh, things in scripture, but if, if you want to have uh, God at a personal level directing your life, uh, worship opens the way. And so let me just read this last verse. Uh, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. By another way. And so it opened, worship opened up for them. God came to them uh, through nature first, and then he comes to them through his word. And now God comes to them personally through a dream. And uh, the counterpart to that for us today would be that apply it directly to your personal life and lead you through your life so that you can be, have this, per, we always talk about this, a personal relationship with God where, yes, I have his word and I have his principles and I have his creation and so forth, but his spirit taking up residence in my spirit and helping me to make decisions on a regular daily basis, a personal relationship with God. And uh, I think, you know, uh, these wise men, like I said, Numbers chapter 24, uh, Micah chapter 5, uh, Psalm 22 speaks about Jesus' death, Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, these wise men studied the scriptures. And because they responded to the scriptures with worship and responded to Jesus with worship, uh, God uh, met them in a very personal way. And he tells them to go home another way. And uh, I think this is obviously, you know, don't go home geographically back to Herod. Uh, the scriptures say that. But I'm wondering if this doesn't have more of a meaning in that these guys went home and were never the same again. They went home another way, <laughs> right? They were never the same again because they had encountered the living God in the person of Jesus. And uh, they had worshiped. And so I think there's a, a second kind of meaning, if you will, here. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, um, that if any person is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? Uh, the old has gone away and new things have come. You'll go home a different way. You'll be a different person. Uh, you can't help it. And so they went home another way, meaning I think their whole way of living changed. They had a whole new orientation on their life, a new uh, sense of living in a personal relationship with God, which resulted in new priorities and new values and a new source of truth. No more speculation, no more superstition. And I just wonder this morning, has that happened to you? Has that happened to us? Have we had that legitimate, worshipful encounter with Jesus that connects us to God and frees us up for a, a personal relationship with the living God? Almost too good to be true that he would plant his spirit inside of us and he would help us on a daily, regular, hourly, minute-by-minute -minute basis and never leave us and never forsake us, 
but bring the truth of who he is to bear upon our lives in such a way that we could enjoy living like that. So, you know the saying, right? Wise men still seek him, right? You get it on Christmas cards and stuff. Wise men still seek him. I guess when it's all said and done, there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? Wise and unwise. (laughs) Wise and unwise. So we have the wise men, and then we have unwise. Herod was unwise. He rejected Jesus straight up. Just tried to kill him, right? Uh, the, The priests and the scribes were unwise. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't believe them enough to go check it out, to, to worship him, to have actions connected to uh, what they knew uh, from God's word. They were unwise. But the wise men were wise. Um, they went on a journey. They went on a quest to find the truth. And uh, they kept uh, going until they found it, even though they were probably inconvenienced and uh, probably had to make some significant sacrifices. They were trying to find God. And, um, and they did. And when they found him, they were ready to worship. They were prepared to worship. They had known the scriptures well enough to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh so that they were prepared uh, to be able to worship him when they found him. And they gave of themselves, and they were never the same again. Would you say, right, that your lifestyle, my lifestyle, is built around the subject of worship? That all of life is about finding what God has to say and then responding to it in appropriate ways. And finding ways to worship uh, with all the different ways that God has opened up to us. I believe that God is calling all of us to find him. Uh, Each one of us, he calls to himself. And he wants us to find uh, our way home. He wants us to be with him in eternity, uh, to find our way back to himself. And I would say, you'll know you've found it when you build your lifestyle around the subject of worship, hearing what God has to say and responding to it with a heart attitude and with actions that are appropriate to what he says. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the wise men and their part of the Christmas story. It really is interesting that they just appear from nowheres and uh, it takes a while for us to think about how that maybe happened And uh, it's interesting to see, Father, that you um, drew them to yourself through nature, through wonders, uh, through your word, and, Father, through personally speaking to them about their circumstances. And uh, it seems to me sometimes, Father, that we get that reversed. We want you to start with, you know, uh, answering questions about our personal circumstances. And uh, then, Father, uh, we think, well, then maybe we'll get into the scriptures and work hard to figure out what you have to say. And then after that, uh, we'll appreciate nature. But your way is the opposite of our way. And so may we learn from the wise men, Father, the route to worship and uh, help us to become better worshipers that we might be prepared for the return of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.